to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Man, well, good morning. It's good to be uh, back with the family at the Garden. I'm, when I'm not here, I'm either in, in two or three other churches that I'm walking and working with as well. I'm serving as an interim pastor at a church in South Orange County uh, and walking them through pastoral transition. So uh, that's where I am when I'm not here, but it's good to be back here. And Darren and I are working out a schedule where we're um, going to be that. I'm looking forward to this next series that we're doing on loving God, loving self and loving uh, neighbor uh, through the summer. I think it's going to be a significant season for us. Um, Today, though, we're on the fifth What in the traditional church calendar is called the fifth Sunday of Easter, the fifth Sunday of Easter. And we don't get too many snapshots in Scripture of time frames after Jesus's resurrection when he appears to his disciples. John gives us uh, a couple of them, Uh, appears to Thomas. He says, on the eighth day, um, and the one that we'll look at this morning in John chapter 21, uh, we don't know exactly when this occurred relative to the resurrection, but I like to think of it as taking place somewhere around this time frame. After the guys had left Jerusalem and gone back to their normal lives to try and figure out what's next after Jesus is raised from the dead, what's kind of the new normal, if you will, now that resurrection life is a possibility, now that death has been conquered, what does it mean to live an ordinary, everyday, walking around life in the, in, the, in the shadow of the empty tomb, in the shadow of the empty cross, in the shadow of resurrection life? And here's the question I'd like to frame this conversation this morning with, if you will. Is resurrection only good for bodies? Is resurrection only good for bodies? That is to say, is resurrection about physical life after death? Or is there something about resurrection life that talks about other kinds of deaths? Deaths of relationships through betrayal. Deaths of dreams through failure. Deaths of hope. Through denial. Does resurrection apply to other kinds of deaths, or is it just about physical death and physical resurrection to life? And I think you know obviously what I think the answer is, because if resurrection only applies to bodies, Paul is going to argue, as powerful as that is, we are hopeless and helpless. But if resurrection life really makes a difference in the negotiations of my relationships when I have failed. Anybody failed? Because if you haven't, you're not trying hard enough. Right? Um, When I was senior pastor and interviewing people for positions, one of the questions that I I wanted a face-to-face response for in those I was interviewing for positions uh, with us on church staff was... Tell me about a time you have failed and how you have responded to that. 
Because if you haven't failed, you're not trying hard enough. You're playing it safe. You, you have outgrown your kingdom. If, if you have no need for God, if there's no space at the end of your resource for what your hand is reaching towards. Right? Um, the language of betrayal or denial is stronger language. Maybe it's, it's, it's the denial or betrayal of a wedding promise. Maybe it's the commitment that you made and just discover you had no business making that commitment and, and, uh, with, to Jesus or to God and you've just not been able to, to pull it off. Is there life after those kinds of things? And I'm going to suggest to you, obviously, that there is, but I want to frame that in a particular way. And I'm going to suggest today that not only is there life after failure, not only is there life after betrayal or denial, sometimes those things are essential for the things that God wants to do through and in you. That you will be able to do things for the kingdom of God as a result of your failure that was unavailable to you had you never failed. Because if the gospel isn't good news for people who have tried and failed, for people who have, for best intentions or sometimes even worst intentions, betrayed a relationship, if forgiveness is not woven into the fabric of resurrection, then what are we doing here? We might as well just wait till we die and resurrection is activated by our death physical. Do you, do you see what I'm after? So John chapter 21, if you have Bibles, uh, please feel free to uh, turn, turn in them if you need one. Uh, we've got a few up on the, on the sides here. And by the way, uh, in response at the end, if you want to join us uh, at the tables for communion, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, but John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has appeared to the disciples. They have gone back home to go fishing. And I think it's important for us to realize that in the shadow of the resurrection, the disciples did not know what to do next. And rather than just rush off madly in all directions, they decided to take Jesus seriously and do nothing for a while until they knew what next to do. It's the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? For people who have been electrified by the power of a resurrection weekend, to go home and just go fishing. Just go back to work. Just go back to normal. Peter was not a recreational fisherman. He was a commercial fisherman. So, imagine the energy on that morning as in the shadow of the resurrection, knowing that the resurrected Christ was present with them always and could appear to them anytime he wished. Kind of like a game of cosmic peekaboo. Because he clearly is able to hear and understand everything that's going on in and around us, right? And sometimes he steps through that curtain and becomes visibly present to them. And knowing that, Peter has to go back to work. So they have a fishing trip and Jesus, John's language, manifests himself to them in that event. And then after, and part of that, of course, is eating breakfast. Every time Jesus shows up, we've got to eat. Food is important to Jesus. By the way, the reason food is important to Jesus after the resurrection is that it is the, 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 the way of demonstrating 
that Jesus is not just a spirit, but a body that has been raised from the dead. That's why eating is important. You with me? So, when he does that, then after breakfast, after they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. We're just going to talk about those two passages for a few minutes. Let's go back. Darren, if you take me back to the other one. First one, please notice. So they finished eating. Jesus and, 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 and um, uh, Peter are going for a walk along the lake. And um, as they do, Peter just knows what's coming. He has been, in a way, dreading this conversation with Jesus for four or five weeks. They haven't talked directly about this event. And you'll notice how Jesus kind of backs into this, not with a direct statement, but he is going to bring Peter down the stair step of his betrayal as they echo the question, do you love me? Paralleling Peter's, I don't know him. Do you love me? I don't know him. Do you love me? I never knew him. Right? So Jesus begins with a gleam in his eye. He's not angry at Peter. Remember, Jesus died on the cross and at the end of that journey said to his father, what? Father, forgive them. Of whom was he speaking? Not just the soldiers, not just the Jewish leaders, but people like Peter who had tried as hard as they could and failed. So there is nothing between Jesus and Peter. The question is, what is there still between Peter and Jesus? You with me? So he takes him, he has to take him right down to the point of his pain. Right down to the point of his betrayal. Right down to the point where Peter is laid bare naked before Jesus in all his shame. He has to do it. He's not harsh. He's not angry. There is a sense of humor. As he begins this question, Peter, do you love me more than these? You'll remember that they had just caught 153 fish. Is this the these to which Jesus refers? Do you love me more than your work? Do you love me more than your success? Do you love me more? That's all possible because the pronoun is indeterminate. But what I think is actually going on here, when Peter is asked, do you love me more than these? He is referring to the these to whom Peter referred on the night of his betrayal of Jesus. Even if all of these betray you, I never will. I'm your man. These other losers, we can write them off. You and me, Jesus, like this. 
right? So even if all of these betray you. So Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter already gets where this is going. Lord, you know that I love you. Please notice that Jesus does not respond to his declaration except to say, feed my lambs. Again, second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. Go ahead, Darren, please. Thank you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then we finally get to the bottom where he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The word that is translated hurt here is one of the most powerful words in the Greek language to talk about the anguish of soul. It's used a very few times, and it just refers to the eruption of pain that Jesus has, has, has lanced a boil at the center of Peter's being. And it hurts in a way that is good. Have you ever had that setting where, where you've had a, a, a bone that needs to be reset, dislocated shoulder, and it hurts so good once it's in place, right? Or, or, or a, a pocket of, of, of infection that needs to be released or a boil that needs to be lanced. That's the language that's used there, this, this eruption of pain. Lord! You know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus lets that poison go, does not comment on it. He simply says in the same tone of voice what he said before. Feed my sheep. I need you to notice here that Jesus is not concerned about whether Peter is sorry. He doesn't ask him, Peter, are you really sorry? Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it this time? I know you've said you're sorry, but Peter, come on. You're a talker. He doesn't ask that. You'll notice also that Peter is not questioned about whether he had repented or not. Peter, have you gotten it right? Have you gotten it right? No. 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 He's not even concerned about whether Peter was promising never to fall or fail again. What is he concerned with here? Simply this. Peter, do you love me? Not, Peter, do you know that I love you? Not, Peter, do you love me still? Because that love still wasn't enough then. It probably won't be enough now. The question is not, Peter, do you know that I love you? The question is not, Peter, do you love me still? The question is, Peter, here, now, in the moment of this pain, do you love me? Why is that so important? It is because love aligns our hearts to restoration. Not God's love for us, but our love for God. Here's how I'm thinking about this. See if this makes any sense to you at all. Imagine a, a, a cylinder open at both ends, right? And now we have a flowing river filled with the love of God that flows out endlessly. The river is a 
common image in Scripture for the love and care and the glory of God. So imagine the love of God flowing out, right? And now you've got this, this cylinder open at both ends. The, the question is not, do I love you? Do you know that I love you? But as that cylinder is immersed into the flowing love of God that has no point of reference to the response of Peter. Peter is going to be loved by Jesus whether he wants to or not. Peter is going to be loved by Jesus regardless of how Peter responds to this question. The love of Jesus for Peter is not in question. As that cylinder is immersed, however, Peter, do you love me? Is there an alignment of your soul to the love that I have with you? Because if there isn't, you will constantly be empty, filled with whatever drifts in as the river goes past of God's love. But if you will align your heart and let me love you, and how do I know that you have let me love you? You love me. That's how we know then the love that flows through you, unconditioned, unobstructed through that vessel, through that cylinder, becomes part of your journey of love. So love aligns us to restoration. Not God's love for us, but our love for God. Do you see? Now this, sets, by the way, sets us up for this next 16 weeks. Because our alignment with God's love for us aligns us with our love for others. Do you see? And the vessel through which that love flows is our love for ourselves. This is what Jesus is fundamentally asking Peter. Peter, have you, are you willing to reorient yourself to being loved by me, but more also to, be, to loving me? Love is what has to be resurrected. Love is what has been betrayed. Love is what has been denied. Love is what has failed. That's why Jesus presses in to the point of Peter's pain. Do you love me? And invites him into this. Can I love again once I have failed? Can I risk loving again even though I know I'm going to get it wrong? Can I risk getting to the heart of my dysfunctional relationships, my relational deaths, my shame and self-dismissal? You see what Peter is getting here? Is Jesus' heart surgery. Peter... Can you risk loving me again? Can I raise again that love that has died? Can we set aside your shame and self-dismissal for usefulness? I am convinced, friends, perhaps some of you sitting here have benched yourself when the coach wants to put you in the game. Because you won't let him love you. And you won't respond to his love by loving him back. No, I'm not good enough. 
I failed before. I'm nothing but a screw-up. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to mess up again. I can't be trusted. And Jesus says, at the end of all of those objections, let's get one thing clear. Do you love me? If we get that orientation right, everything else falls into place. First button, first hole stuff. Everybody tracking with me on my corny illustration? Right? First button, first hole. Please notice, it is the betrayer who has to choose to love again, not the betrayed. It is the one forgiven that has to reorient to the relationship, not the one forgiving. This is the hard part. When you forgive someone, you also have to go to the next step of reorienting them back into the relationship. This is the hard part, isn't it? I thought forgiving was enough. No, forgiving sets the table for a stepping back in and a willingness and a risking to be loved by an imperfect human being again. That's why forgiveness is so fundamental to our being as a congregation, as a community of people. It's why it's fundamental to any marriage or any real relationship. If forgiveness is not woven into the fabric of our relationship, we are going to hurt and wound one another irreparably. Forgiveness is the only way back home. Not simply forgiveness given, but forgiveness received and then acted in. Does that, does that make sense? Because it's critical for us to notice back on Jesus and Peter here for a minute that Peter is not to love Jesus, or excuse me, is not to serve Jesus because he feels guilty. Jesus does not want Peter to serve him because he feels guilty. He does not want Peter to serve him because he's obligated to having been forgiven. He does not want Peter to serve Jesus because of guilt or shame. He does not even want Peter to serve him because of gratitude. He wants him to serve him because he loves him. Because he loves him. This is so important. This is why when we come back down to this, it, we've got to be. I, I, I want to take just a second again because because we, we had a we had. Forgive me for this, but we had a we, we've had four dogs over the course of our marriage. Um, first first one was a, a cockapoo. Both halves of the name entirely appropriate. And, and, then, and, then, and then we got an Australian Shepherd, beautiful dog, really smart. The two of them collaborated, however, and, and ran off. Uh, uh, a utility guy left the gate open, and, and, and the two of them decided they could do better in Texas or someplace. I don't know where they went. So then, 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 then we got, then, then we got, then, then, then we got Ginger. Ginger was a purebred beagle. With issues. <laughs> cutest dog, cutest dog, and stupider than a bag of rocks. Uh, no offense for those of you who, who love beagles, uh, but 
But this this dog, this this was a frustration from from from. I mean, it was like it, it was like, uh, OK, no, you can't do that. And she'd look at you like, yes, I, I, I'm writing this down as you speak. I, I, I think I've got it now. And then 10 minutes later, right back, same same thing. And every time, every time, like uh, whether it was trained to uh, or I, I don't know what. Right and, and it's like and, and so I'm good. She sees me and, 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 and Ginger, come here. And, and those ears just flip up. Right. And she would kind of do this thing. It kind of whittle her way, kind of leaving a trail, leaving a trail as she came to the site of the offense. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want that from you. <laughs> You're not in trouble, Peter. Trouble has been dealt with on the cross. Can you get over yourself enough to love Jesus? Do you see? That's what he's after. Not for gratitude, not because of guilt, not because you're ashamed, not because, not because, not because, just one thing. Do you love me? Now, I need you to sit with this text a minute because something else is going on here that I want you to notice with me. We're going to look at another text that sets this up. Uh, so go ahead, uh, Darren, and put that one up. This is the scene of the crime. This is the setup. Simon, Simon. The Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Simon said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. I've changed the translation in the first line, and most of your Bible translations will say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you. And the reason I did that uh, is because I want to draw attention to something. Satan is not a name. It's a role. It's a position. It's like a prosecuting attorney or an adversary. That's literally what the word means. So it has a definite article in front of it, the Adversary, the opposition, the Satan. You with me? And this, the reason this is important is I want you to notice who controls the behaviors and activities of this role. He has demanded the right to sift you. And if you follow that language back into Job or back into the children of Israel in the desert, or back into the garden in chapter 3, you will discover that this individual, this role, this position, or if you even want to go to Jesus in the desert in, 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 in Luke uh, 4, it's the same being whose role it is to test your grip on your identity. To test your grip on whether you believe what is true about you. Or not. So the Satan has filed a petition, Peter, to sift you like wheat. 
And apparently the father has said yes. Because he can't touch you without the father's permission. Anybody just a little squirmy right now? That the Satan cooperates with God for God's purposes. What is happening here? The word sift is an interesting word. It has two different layers, each of which I think Jesus is implying. First of all is the separation of wheat from chaff. We are, for the most part, a non-agricultural community here. None of you are wheat farmers to the best of my knowledge. But if you were, this would make sense to you. But I think it makes sense enough to us that we get what is going on here. That is to say, when you get a grain of wheat, there is a husk that is useless, that surrounds that grain of wheat and protects it. But if you want to turn that grain of wheat into flour, you have to sift it. You have to remove the chaff from the wheat so that the wheat remains alone. And the way you do that in this traditional society is by beating it with a stick. Anybody starting to know what's going on in your life lately? Chaff is being removed. Things that you thought were essential for your protection, the Father is collaborating with the Satan to get out of the way so that you can actually be useful. And then the grinding process of that grain of wheat, and then the second sifting in which the coarser materials are removed so that you don't get a, a, a hard bite down on a loaf of bread. Both words. Satan has demanded, the Satan has demanded to sift you this way, Peter. But I prayed for you. Now, here's the question. Is that good enough for you? Not that you don't go through it. This is fundamentally necessary for you to go through. You have to go through this in order to be useful for the work that I've got for you. So I'm praying for you. For what purpose? That you don't quit. That you don't give up. That you don't bench yourself permanently. That your faith does not fail. Why? Well, because he's doing the same thing with everybody else too. And I want you to encourage them when they're going through seasons of their failure and their betrayal and their disappointment and their shame and their and there, and there. So what's going on here? Jesus is recognizing that in Peter's betrayal, something fundamental to Peter's usefulness is taking place. Failure is a necessary prelude to service out of love. Now, I need you to sit with this for one second. What is it that has to be removed from Peter? What is the chaff? And I need you to consider, what kind of a pastor would this guy be? Do you see? The arrogance, the pride, the boastfulness. Peter, we've got to knock that out of you. We've got to get rid of that. You're not all that in a bag of chips, Peter. You're just not. 
but you think you are. So we got to deal with this. Because if you pastor people with that rigidity of arrogance, you will hurt folks. So we got we got to work on this. But I prayed for you. Yeah! You know, that's not helpful. Unless you realize what actually is going on, right? So look at what's going on. Next slide. Jesus, back on the beach now, okay? Truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself. You used to go where you wanted. Arrogance. Pride. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Somebody else will decide what you're going to wear. And they'll lead you where you don't want to go. Humility. Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned, (laughs) I love this, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Which is, by the way, why we have this recorded, because that disciple's name is John. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, what is that to you? (laughs) You follow me. Anybody had Jesus just tell you to mind your own business? Yeah, okay. So, So what is happening here? I need you to go back with me to the first time Jesus and Peter met on this very side of this very lake. Three, three and a half years ago. The first words Peter heard from Jesus was what? Follow me. And in Peter's first century consciousness, as a Jewish synagogue boy, he knows what that means. That's what a rabbi says to an applicant follower. And fundamentally, when the rabbi says that, what he's saying is, I think you have what it takes to be like me. I think you have what it takes to be like me. Why does Jesus need to say this to Peter again, not once but twice? Because Jesus believes things about Peter that Peter doesn't believe about Peter. Jesus believes in Peter when Peter does not believe in Peter. Do you hear what he's saying? Peter, you're a disappointment. No. Peter, you're a failure. No. Peter? I think you have what it takes to be like me. Are you on board with me? Without comparison. We all want to do discipleship by comparison. Right? Are you asking me the same thing? Why don't you ask that person the same thing? Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you? Why isn't your way with me the same as... Mind your own business. You. Follow me. You follow me. Your discipleship will look different than your roommates, than your husband or wife's, than your, your friends. It will look different than your schoolmates. It will look different than the people you do life with. It will look different for you to follow Jesus than their following Jesus will look. You okay with that? Because your chaff is different than theirs. Your following is different than theirs. So here's what I want you to think through with me. Is there a time, maybe today, 
when you need to start to walk in the forgiveness you have already received. And stop shaming yourself. Stop disabling yourself. Stop walking around like some demented beagle with your ears up over your face, whittling on the ground as you come to Jesus. Oh, please don't hurt me. Is it time for you to stand up like the man, like the woman of God he knows you to be and follow him? Is it time? Is it possible that you are in a season right now of sifting? You are being, it feels like, beat with a stick. You are being put through a fine mesh screen. And stuff is being left behind that you counted on to protect you. And Jesus is praying for you. Not for deliverance, but for the effectiveness of the sifting. So that you can be useful. It might be in relationships. It might be in some other kind of failure. It might be in some kind of betrayal. It might be in somehow a self-disappointment. Can you say to him, if this is what you got for me, wail on. I will not lose my faith. And when I'm done this, I'm going to encourage others. I'm going to bring them along. Maybe you're at the other end of that process and you realize you're through that and now's the time to begin to encourage others. Finally, I want to say to you, some of you I know have been coming to the garden for a while and you haven't completely made your mind up about Jesus yet. And maybe having heard what He's really like today again, you're ready to say, I want to follow Him. I don't get it all. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I still have a boatload of doubts that don't make any sense. I want to challenge you to bring those doubts. He loves us doubters. Doubt is the primary way towards faith. It's the primary way. And so don't, you don't have to leave Him at the door. Bring Him with you. You, you can't deal with Him out there. Maybe today's the time you decide, I, I, I want to I align myself with the forgiveness that He's provided me. Uh, let's, let's pray together. I'm going to ask our, our prayer teams to just come up and our worship team to come back up. Lord, as we sit with this uh, enormous text, I am so aware, O oh Lord, of... Um, how failure has prepared me for ministry. Me. In so many ways. Coming to an awareness of my limitations. Getting myself tripped over, tripping over myself with pride and arrogance. All kinds of ways, O oh Lord, in which you are at work. Sometimes that I have resisted and resented. Other times, Lord, in which I have cried out for deliverance and I know that you are praying for us. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us now courage to respond to you. 
to maybe come and have somebody pray with us for the alignment of our lives with that flow of your love and get over ourselves finally, walking in the forgiveness that you have provided. Or patience in the process of the sifting that is going on right now. Or maybe to come to you in the first place without knowing all of the answers to all of our questions, there is a pull in our hearts that says we want to follow you. Pray that you would empower us for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you'd like to come down, feel free to come. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.